As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. Ask N.T. Wright Anything podcast. Hey, I'm so glad you could be with us again for the show that brings you the thought and theology of N.T. Wright. Tom is Senior Research Fellow at Wycliffe Hall, Oxford University, a celebrated theologian, historian and author. I'm Justin Bradley, Head of Apologetics and Theology for Premier Unbelievable. And uh, thanks for this review from a listener in Canada who says Dr. Wright is unbelievable. I'm a black woman and listening to European, able-bodied, cisgendered male theologians automatically sets my radar on high alert. But I find Dr. Wright to be easier to listen to because I can drop my barriers and hear his messages. He has demonstrated time and time again an unbiased, to the greatest extent anyone can, perspective on scriptural interpretation. Love, love, love this podcast and anxiously await new episodes. Well, thank you so much. Um, be really interested actually to know what you make of today's episode because uh, we're actually joined again by US Bible scholar Justin Basson. And that's partly because we're going to be responding to some questions from US listeners about right wing politics and faith. Where does patriotism fit with Christian worship, for instance? What do I say to family members who say I can't be a Christian and vote for Joe Biden? How do I talk to post-Christian friends who have rejected US evangelicalism? So uh, we'll see what Tom and Justin have to say in today's edition of the show. And just a reminder, the next big thing coming up from Premier Unbelievable is renowned New York pastor to skeptics Tim Keller. Tim has been on a journey with cancer over the last two years, and he'll be telling us about that, about that journey and taking your questions. Tim also has a new book out on forgiveness too, which we'll talk about. So do join us live on Tuesday, the 13th of December from anywhere in the world. You know the website, it's unbelievable.live. That's our website for joining us for live webinar events. Free to attend, but you do need to register. That's at unbelievable.live. I'd love to see as many Ask NT Write Anything listeners as possible joining us for this special time with Tim Keller. Thanks for being with us on today's show. Here come your questions. Well, welcome back to the show. Um, and we've got some special episodes that we're recording at the moment uh, where we're not only joined by Tom Wright, as usual, but also Justin Bass, who's a New Testament scholar. Uh, and you can, again, find links to his book and, of course, to Tom's from today's show. Uh, but I thought it would be fun to do, as well as some questions around the Bible and the New Testament, some, some of those cultural questions that come in so frequently for us, Tom, um, particularly from American listeners who want your advice on issues around the political state and uh, the sort of Christian nationalism and those kinds of issues. Um, now, sometimes you, you get criticised by some folk when we answer these questions, Tom, saying, well, you don't really understand what the full picture is and so on. 
um, over there in the UK. Well, I thought, well, at least we've got Justin here who perhaps can, can b- uh, bring that side of the argument to bear in, in this conversation. So we'll see where we go with these, these questions. But um, why don't we leap right in with Tom from Orlando who wants to ask about patriotism. He says, often I found a strange mix of patriotism woven into religious worship. How should one view loyalty to country in concert with loyalty to God? Can one remain patriotic when patriotism so often is lifting one's country's needs and desires over another? Can we truly love our brother when being asked to bear arms against him? Um, and I, I've been to, to many, uh, you know, places in America where not only will you perhaps have, uh, you know, a religious service, but frequently God bless America, you know, and, mm-hmm. and sort of a certain amount of sort of, you know, frequently the American flag is there along with the cross in, in church services and so on. Um I'll start with you, Justin, on this one. What, what do you think? Where do you think the, the, the right sort of balance is when it comes to patriotism? When does that cross over into some sort of idolization of a country, you know, the, 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 the primacy of America and that sort of thing? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess I would say, you know, there probably are people out there that, that worship their country, that make it an idol, that, that everything, you know, their country does is perfect. But I think I think when it comes to you know Christians in America, I find you know the ones that are called right wing and all this. I I find many of them you know are just proud of America and, and you know consider America to be the greatest country on earth. I, even though I'm in England, I, I think you're, you're going to say that. You're I, think come that, out with that. I, I think that wow. I think I think I think it's got a lot of problems. You know, there's no <laughs> doubt it's a, you know it's not perfect. It's not the kingdom, but I do think America has done things with freedom of speech and, and certain aspects of freedom that, that I think have been better than, than just about anywhere. And so, you know, I, I think it's okay to be proud of your country. I think, you know, um, uh, you know, biblically, I think, I think of like Romans 12 versus Romans 13. I think of like, uh, you know, Romans 12 kind of, uh, you know, you know, alluding and quoting to the Sermon on the Mount. This is, this is the, the action of, of living in Christ's kingdom. Romans 13, there's some aspects of living in Caesar's kingdom and living in, you know, if you're in the government. And when John the Baptist, you know, told the, uh, uh, had Roman soldiers come to him and asked him what to do, you know, John the Baptist said, the man who has two should give, you know, give at least one of the things, you know, if he, if someone need, is in need, you know, give him what's in need, be content with your wages. Um, you know, he didn't tell him to stop fighting. He didn't tell him, you know, to, you know, well, give it up, you know, give up your arms. Uh, so, so I think, I think there are ways to be, you know, in Christ, you know, love Christ, uh, you know, above all, but also be patriotic, patriotic and be thankful for the country that you're in. Hmm. Tom? Yes, uh, I'm broadly in agreement with that. And of course, we in Britain have a long track record of being inordinately proud of our country um, and and uh, imagining that actually this is the perfect country and that everything else is a is a uh, a rather shadowy copy of it um, and that America is a rather sort of odd parody of it now i wouldn 't say any of that, but I observe these feelings in 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 my country from time to time um, it's it 's difficult because we are shifting now into a global village where we're much more aware than we were even when I was young of just how interconnected the whole world is and hence uh, just how much it matters that we try to understand and try to get along with and try to make space for cultures other than our own. So the whole question then of multiculturalism and what that should or could or might look like is very much on the agenda. And I see that actually 
as a sort of a secular version of the dream of the New Testament, which is to say that you may with one heart and voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the vision in Revelation of uh, a large multitude of every nation and kingdom and tribe and tongue uh, gladly worshipping together, um, this, is, this is not something for the ultimate future only. So we can say, well, okay, we'll do our own thing at the moment, but then one day in God's future we'll all be together. I think the church is the place which ought to be modelling what it looks like to transcend national, ethnic, cultural boundaries at the moment. So then um, you get the second century um, apologists talking about being a citizen of all countries and none and um, uh, of how our, our real allegiance is to God the creator and that makes us good citizens where we are, um, not uncritical citizens but good citizens where we are, we pay our taxes, we, we respect the authorities, we live peaceably with our neighbours um, but we know that we have an ultimate allegiance which doesn't reduce our present allegiance, um, it merely contextualizes it in a larger and more generous framework. Hmm. Yeah, and I'll just add it, you know, a scripture that I feel like is exactly what, what, what Tom's expounding on is Jeremiah 29. You know, when, when the Jews, you know, were exiled into Babylon, you know, God said, plant, build, prosper, and seek the prosperity of, amazingly, Babylon. <laughs> Babylon, which worshipped all these false gods, which were doing untold things. I mean, I'm sure they did so many things against uh, the G Geneva Convention um, and the way they treated <laughs> criminals oh, yeah. and the way they treated people. So God was saying, where you are, pro you know, seek the prosperity of it. Don't worship it. Don't don't worship their gods. Don't don't mingle with things that are evil. But seek the prosperity of the place and be like Tom said, be a good citizen. And I feel like that's the thing. Like I, like I'm, you know, I'm not. Even, you know, I love America, but I love Texas maybe even more. So I'm, I'm a Texan, I'm an American, so I'm passionate about that. You guys from England should be passionate about England. People from Africa should be passionate about that. People from Australia should be passionate there. That And, and Christians should be good citizens anywhere they go, but never think that that's the kingdom. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. that that's a yeah. pretty good rule of thumb, yeah. Um, I mean, it segues into our next question, um, which is from Christy uh, and says, some members of my family are prone to saying that anyone who voted for Joe Biden is not actually a Christian, and that our faith in Jesus Christ is somehow fake or false, that we're enthusiasts for killing babies. There are this, these are the same people who seem to be almost worshipful in their admiration for and loyalty to Donald Trump. These are good people of faith who somehow now believe the lie that Joe Biden rigged the election and is now trying to destroy America, that somehow any person who loved Jesus and didn't bow before the throne of Donald Trump is going to be turned away on Judgment Day. And Christie says, honestly, I'm trying so hard to follow Jesus and read the Bible, learn more about God, become more like him. What can I make of these charges being thrown at me? Uh, fellow Christians who were a bit concerned within the last four years, I've I'm so done with this and would love to get your take on the situation, as honestly, a lot of Christians in the United States seem to have lost their minds. And it's not going away anytime soon, even though we have a new president. Um, obviously, uh, we, we you know, can expect probably Donald Trump to be um, coming back, uh, certainly to contest the White House in the next election and so on. And, and this is we've seen again and again. So um, I know I'm really interested to see what Justin has to say to this in a moment's time, but, but Tom, do you want to start us off on this one? And, and well, ju just briefly, because obviously this gets into the detail of the contemporary mindset in America. And, uh, and let me say, I have friends in America who tell me of friends of theirs or relatives of theirs who have more or less cut them off because they won't, uh, as your question says, a worship at the throne of, of Donald Trump. 
And I think it's fascinating to me how the issue of abortion um, has taken center stage for many people. And I, I understand that. I take a, whether you call it a traditional or conservative view of, of abortion myself, not an absolute extreme view, but um, I, I would broadly share the view that many American Christians have of that. And, and hence, I grieve over the way in which in my country and in America, um, the politicians on the left have tended to say that abortion is a woman's right etc etc i think that fudges the issue and and creates a, a very dangerous and dark place so the, the trouble then is in politics you have to do deals you have to make compromises you have to say well in order to get all sorts of things done we're going to have to agree to differ on this particular thing in order to get all those things done and the idea that because the democrats were uh, broadly pro-abortion or, or what they would use the phrase pro pro-choice that that means that everything else they do um, must be wicked and satanic etc etc and then we can spin all sorts of lies about them and conspiracy theories that that's a kind of political immaturity which one would have hoped that a great country like america would have grown up out of by now um, i mean part of the difficulty of seeing as an outsider but i love america and i go often and um, i've lived in america for some while um, i see still bits of the civil war playing playing itself out the battles of the 1860s with the liberals in the northeast and the and the the rednecks down in the south um, imagining one another in the stereotypes and then playing off against those those stereotypes and it's so ironic because America was founded largely on the business of a separation of church and state, that we're not going to have church and state mixing. But now what's happened is the rushing together in a disorderly fashion of Christian sentiment and ideas with politics in a way which seems to be uncontrolled and unthought through. And we in Britain have a rich old muddle on that. And up at our established church, in a sense, lets us hold the ring for trying to think more wisely. And let me say, we don't expect that when we vote in a British election, we are going to get utopia. We expect that at the best, we will get the least worst. Whereas in America, I think people still think that if only they can get the right person in the White House, then utopia will arrive. And, and I think that's a, an enlightenment dream, which the French gave up on a long time ago, or many of them, but America still clings to. So let's go to someone who, who has voted for Donald Trump. Yep. Uh, and uh, Justin, tell us wh where you land on this question. Yeah, the, the, the point about j just on that, that question, you know, I, I would say no person can be called a Christian or not a Christian based on who they vote for. I mean, I think that, you know, <laughs> when we stand before the gates uh, of, of uh, heaven or, or the new creation or the kingdom, you know, we won't be asked, uh, you know, well, who did you vote for in the 2016 election? Who did you vote for in the 2020 election? That's going to that's going to determine it. So I, I think that the people that this person in the question is talking about, the, these people would be on the more extreme. But I, I'll just, you know, use an example from from, you know, from England that I feel like captures kind of the I think the mindset of many Christians who, who are not in that extreme and, and people like me who voted for Trump saw Trump as a lesser evil. I think William Wilberforce would be a good example of this. Somebody who's a strong Christian, who gets involved in politics, who loves his country, and who wants to see evil, slavery, you know, be done done away with. And what and how is slavery going to be done away with except by raw power, except by raw government, British hegemony? I mean, that's what it took 
to end slavery. And so just to give kind of a, 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 a parallel, which I think is a, a, an apt parallel because I think abortion is kind of a modern day slavery, people who voted for Donald Trump in 2016, as opposed to Hillary, ended up getting three Supreme Court justices that were pro-life. And as a result, Roe v. Wade was overturned uh, just, just very recently. And that was the first time in 60 years. And so that, you know, I would love Trump or whoever the Republican or who, Democrat nominee to be like a Wilberforce. They definitely aren't that. They definitely aren't the moral, godly, you know, solid Christian type leader. But there are leaders that I think in America that are more likely to, to vote and push forward policies that are going to end certain evils and promote certain freedoms. And that's the ones that, that, that I want to vote for. And, and so, so, so I wouldn't say a person's not a Christian for voting for Biden or, or that side, but I would say they are ill-advised. And I would say they are then partnering with certain evils that they are doing. And it's not just abortion now. I mean, we're, we're dealing with actual, Biden has made it clear he supports this you know, gender-affirming care, which is basically the mutilation of minors who, uh, you know, a boy who wants to become a girl can be castrated. A, a girl who wants to become a boy can have a mastectomy and have her breasts removed. And this is happening already in hospitals in America. And, and, and if they had their way, they would make this, you know, who knows how young they would allow this kind of thing. And so there, there's just a lot of evils that I think are coming out of one side. You know, they're, they're you know, neither side's perfect. Again, but the lesser evil, I think, is on the Republican side right now in, in, in American politics. I think these very specific anti-biblical, uh, anti-God evils are coming out of the Democratic Party. And, and, and I think they need to be stopped in a in, in, in similar way that Wilberforce sought to stop you know, the evils of his day. Tom? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not going to take Justin on in terms of analyzing the different evils of the different sides. And you know the American scene better than I do. But I, I've heard this thing about the, the, the gender reassigning, etc. We've had a chunk of that in Britain. Um, it now is actually being, I think, pushed back a bit. Um, it's still very difficult. But some of the key newspapers have taken a firm line against that kind of thing. It, which surprises me because the same newspapers would normally be very liberal on all sorts of issues. But I think people have seen that, that there is something really damaging going on here. Um, and, and I mean, as well as sheer non nonsense, and part of it is truth-telling. Part of it is telling the truth about God's good creation. And, and when somebody when somebody born um, to all extent intent and purposes male says, I want to be a woman, I want to be female, um, I think the right question to ask is, what is this thing called woman or female that you want to be? Because female should include things like having a uterus, etc., etc. You don't have one. Um, we're not planning on transplanting one into you. And if, if we did, it wouldn't work. Just what is it that you're asking to be? And I think part of the difficulty there, um, to get into the specifics, is that we've been so bombarded with the rhetoric of sexual politics over the last generation that now we're frightened of saying to anyone who says, I want to be this, I want to live like that, oh no, you shouldn't because we're telling you that's wrong. Um, at the same time, the truth question cuts both ways. And uh, looking from 
the uh, the British side of the Atlantic, it seems to me that there's a real problem in truth-telling, truth-telling about the last election, for instance, um, and truth-telling about all sorts of things that are going on, and the QAnon conspiracy theories, uh, some of the perpetrators of which are getting themselves elected to office. You know, th these are very serious things, and we look at it and shudder and think, what would happen if Trump got a second term? That, that's that's um, to, to many people around the world, that is just as horrific as Biden getting a first term, although Biden's term is not unproblematic. I fully agree. So um, this is the perspective of a friendly outsider who wishes America well. Part of the difficulty here, as with the present state of Israel, is that if you criticize one leader, one party, or one set of actions, people assume you are criticizing the whole country. Uh, so if you criticize Benjamin Netanyahu, oh, it must be that you're anti-Semitic. No, I'm sorry, I, am not, I do not have an anti-Semitic bone in my body, but I do think that Netanyahu was a disaster in the past and might be again. Um, and so maybe, again, compromises. So it's, th these are very difficult issues. But I think trying to make it easy so that if you're a Christian, you must do this and if you're um, if you do that you're obviously not a christian or not a real christian is as justin says that's just not a good way to go it's immature and fails to take seriously the minds which god has given us to think serious issues through and if i could just add one thing and i agree it's, it's an issue of conscience I, th I think and i and but if i had a christian before me who was going to vote that other way i th these are the kind of things i would bring to them you know, talking about the the question about you know if you don't have a uterus, you know how how are you you know claiming to be a woman? Um, you know th this is an amazing thing that this has really become. I wouldn't say all Democrats, you know, who people who vote Democrat just across the board, but with the leaders, when it comes to this question, you can def you can basically know in America who's a Democrat leader and who's a Republican leader just by that question. It's an amazing thing. If they can answer the question, what is a woman? An adult human fam female then they're Republican. If they can't, then <laughs> if they refuse to answer, we know they're Democrats. So it's, it's, it's become that polarized. Isn't, isn't that is interesting? Very sad. We have analogies, not exact analogies, but some analogies in our politics at the moment. And, and I'm looking forward to coming around that corner and going in a wiser way. But I do think it's partly because of the many years of being bombarded with the propaganda about the gay issue, where um, people have been so anxious um, because of hard-edged, um, if you like, homophobic rhetoric, etc., um, saying, you know, God hates fags or whatever, that people have reacted against that and so, oh, we've got to be nice about people, we've got to let people say who they really are. And then on the back of that, this whole new wave of the trans thing has happened. Um, and I'm, I'm with J.K. Rowling on this, and, and I hope that doesn't get me uh, trolled by Twitter, the Twitterati because um, she's had a lot of that. Well, we, we both stand with J.K. Well, Rowling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, yeah, one quite question. Almost, yes. <laughs> Post-Christian far-right baggage is, is our final question from Chris in Minnesota. He says, my wife and I love the podcast. I went to a Christian university and I'm in ministry full-time, but one of the greatest heartaches I've had in the past couple of years is watching a significant number of my friends from university and other Christian institutions become openly, quote-unquote, post-Christian. Some simply want nothing to do with the far-right evangelical movement, but some seem to hate Christianity itself and all it signifies. My question is, how do we approach those who label themselves post-Christian? I feel any argument or debate will be perceived as just mental or theological gymnastics and over-explaining of Christianity that many see as, as deceptive. 
It feels impossible to separate the life and truth of Christianity from the baggage it carries for them. What is the way forward? Uh, and I, I meet this a lot with people, perhaps other labels are used, deconstructed and ex-evangelical and other things. Um, and uh, I do wonder how much of it is bound up with a certain cultural manifestation of Christianity that they've rejected. Perhaps they haven't truly rejected the, the real heart and spirit of, of Christian faith uh, itself. Um, but but it's very difficult to disentangle it sometimes, depending on the culture you're you're coming from. Um, I mean, I want, Justin, if you could start us off on this one. What, what do you say? Have you had similar... Friends who have gone in that direction and say, I don't, I don't want anything to do with it anymore. Yeah, you know, this is this has been a very big thing in America too. This deconverting, you know, people deconverting, um, you know, deconstruction, deconstruction. Yeah. The, yeah. the um, uh, you know, lack of a better word, Backstreet Boy, you know, '90s Christian band members. You know, I think you've had someone on your show, but this has been like public kind of celebrity Christians coming out publicly and saying. You know, I don't. I did believe, obviously. You know, I was a Jesus freak. You know, when I'm sang, you know saying the song "Jesus Freak" in the '90s, and now they they say they're not a believer. I, I you know, I think on a case by case basis, we need to focus on them. We need to, you know, especially if they're they're open and still wanting to to seek things out. But but especially some of these people who want to make it real popular that they're denying Christ and that they're becoming an apostate. I think, you know, um, we need to maybe debate them and and deal with them and and you know maybe. Uh, being stronger with them and and talking about what's the implications of this if you denied Christ what 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 will happen after you die you know let's talk about hell let's talk about some of these things and and i think another point that that don't that i don't see many christian leaders making on this is you know jesus like in, bringing back john 6 after the feeding of the 5000 and jesus says some very you know hardcore things you know if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood there's no life in you and some people leave and it's it's fascinating, you know, all throughout the Gospels, when people walk away from Jesus, he never chases them down. You know, he never he never runs after him. No, 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 come back, please. Come on. What can I do? You know, what else can I say? You know, we'll do something for you. I'll compromise. You know, Jesus doesn't do that. And I think we as Christian leaders, you know, we need to be loving. We need to welcome all. But I think sometimes chasing these people who leave, we neglect the people who are there. And so I think we need to focus on the people who actually are coming to church, we need to be training them up and making them, you know, making disciples of the people that are there and empowering them so that way they, they're not going to, you know, 15, 20 years deconvert later because they're getting a third grade, second grade education of Christianity. So so I, I have kind of this view of at this point, I'm kind of like, you know, hey, let's let's hunker down and focus on the people who are actually at church now. Let's not be chasing after the Backstreet Boy member that that left, you know, let's let's stick with the people that are at church. That's just one, one so, of my yeah, that, that's that's fascinating, and I I very much agree with you that, that that Jesus remains cool and calm when people say no, they walk away, and Jesus may be sad, but but the, as you say, um, what I want to say is that the people who are still hanging in there, they need to be encouraged so to order their outward facing cheerful christian work christian life christian work in the world that whether people want to believe it or not they are struck by the fact that these christians actually seem to be doing some good around the place um you know w when i was working as a bishop um 
I was fascinated by the way in which some of the communities in the northeast of England where I was working, the church was, to use exactly the wrong metaphor, punching above its weight. You know, just a few people, not necessarily hugely well-educated, who were doing things for the, the benefit of the wider society in the town or village where they were living, and that people would look and say, wow, you know, and obvious examples like food banks, but all sorts of other things, which if the church suddenly stopped doing those things, that community would be in real trouble. And people, even who don't want to believe and who've probably been bruised by some form of Christianity that they had formerly embraced, can look at it and say, well, maybe there is such a thing as genuine Christianity, and I think I'm looking at it over there. And that can often pave the way for somebody to return. Um, uh, but, but that's by the church being what it ought to be anyway. If it has that effect, well, that's great. And we should pray that, 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 that it will. Um, I think as well, we have to face the fact that in my country, as well as most countries, I guess, the sort of Christianity that people had in the 1980s and 1990s, especially young people growing up, and maybe a bouncy Christian fellowship and some Christian rock music or whatever, that may only have been quite a superficial uh, version of Christianity. And it may be that there are deeper things going on, which they never connected with. And as their lives have gone on, as, as they have matured, they haven't had that depth to draw on. But the depth is there. And God willing, they might find it. I notice in, in your splendid book, Bedrock, um, you quote at one point um, uh, an article by A.N. Wilson, who's a British journalist, and, and you say he was a journalist and intellectual atheist, but actually to begin with, he was a very devout, very um, narrow, constrained, high church Anglican Christian. He actually went to seminary and was thinking about being ordained, and then he gave it all up for various reasons. I ran into him in the 90s when he wrote his book, um, uh, about Jesus, which was based on bits of Geza Vermesh's book, actually. And as you remember, one of the chapters in my book, Who Was Jesus, was against him. He then wrote a book on Paul, similarly, and I wrote a book on Paul with a final chapter, which was debunking Wilson. We then had a public debate in St. James Piccadilly, which was quite a nerve-wracking experience, but he was very much, you know, I'm just a woolly atheist, and I think that's the best thing to be, and etc., etc. Et How he got from that in the mid-90s to where he is now that article you quoted was in 2009 i do not know i have not met him i have not been in touch but it seems to me he had a very uh, narrow and immature faith a very nervous faith to begin with which probably needed to be broken into pieces so that it could become anything at all and then has now come back into a much more perhaps i don't know mature and richer uh, faith i know he and rowan williams have become friends for instance though we've not made that connection across so i think um, different people are on different journeys sometimes that just has to happen and it may just take time and we may grieve over them while they're gone and hope they don't mess their own lives and other people's lives up too much in that in that context although of course Christians are pretty good at messing their own and other people's lives up as well so it's not a matter of just us and them being totally different on that one yeah well and the, and the A.N. A. Wilson story is a Gives us great hope for someone like Bart Ehrman, because Bart Ehrman came anyone. from a very fundamentalist, maybe not very in-depth understanding of Christianity, Absolutely. became an yep. atheist, yep. an agnostic, yep. and who knows what, what will happen in the coming years, he, God willing. He, 
Yes, no, no story is over till it's over, as they say. And and as we've said on previous podcasts, Tom, often, as you said, and it's been my experience, deconstruction can be a route for some people to, to reconstructing something far, far deeper and stronger oh, yes. in the long run. But um, I hope that's been helpful in some way, uh, Chris in Minnesota and the others who've been been uh, emailing in with your questions. Uh, it's great to be able to. Uh, have a have conversation across the pond, though Justin is with us on the, this side of the Atlantic on this occasion on some of these issues. So, so thank you both for engaging with each other in that way. Um, we'll be back with another episode uh, featuring Justin uh, next time. But for now, Tom and Justin, thanks for being with me. Thanks. This was fun. Thank you. Good to be here. Hope you enjoyed today's show. Thank you for being part of it. You can find more get our newsletter and support us over at premierunbelievable.com it's the one-stop shop for all our resources podcasts videos and much more besides next time on the show catholics have questions we'll hear what some catholic listeners want to ask tom and just a final reminder our upcoming webinar with tim keller happens on tuesday the 13th of december you can register to be part of it at unbelievable.live for now thanks for being with us see you next time <laughs>